It's Friday morning. I'm Bob Joseph on WNBF and WNBF.com. We call the program Binghamton Now. We welcome Celeste Katz-Marston. Talk about the uh, situation, we'll say, afflicting journalism in America in 2020. And if there's anything that journalists can do to regain the public's trust. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me on the program. Well, thank you. First, uh, just tell our listeners a little bit of your background as a journalist and uh, even uh, a contributor on the radio at WBAI in New York City. Yeah, exactly. I'm a correspondent for WBAI. I've done uh, political reporting and hosting for them. I've uh, been working on a series of interviews about how COVID is affecting New Yorkers. Um, I have spent 15 years, over 15 years, uh, at the New York Daily News uh, covering politics um, nationally, locally, including a lot of stuff about elections. Um, I've also been on staff at uh, Newsweek magazine, uh, the Providence Journal, and a bunch of other places. And now I'm freelancing for places like Neiman Reports and uh, NBC Asian America. And a piece you did recently for Neiman Reports is what prompted me to contact you and invite you on the program. The piece, which uh, ran earlier this month, was entitled Challenges and Possible Solutions to Winning Back Trust in Journalism Post-Trump. And as a a host of a daily radio program here in Binghamton, and I I sort of serve as as the warm-up act for my good friend Rush Limbaugh, so I am acutely aware that many of my listeners uh, have serious trust issues with traditional journalists, whether they're people in Binghamton or people who work at the Capitol in Albany or New York City or Washington. Uh, I'm not sure that they trusted much of the media to begin with, but this year uh, their trust seems to have been really shattered by what's gone on during the campaign and even what's happened since the election, November 3rd. Yeah, definitely. Um Excuse me, definitely experienced some of that myself as a reporter. Uh, you know, uh, covered Republican politics specifically for a long time, uh, including covering uh, both Trump campaigns, writing about that. Obviously, it was a little different covering a campaign this time, a little bit more remote, but uh, following a lot of Republican candidates all around the country. And, you know, I have come into contact with a lot of people, uh, not just elected officials or candidates, but people at events and rallies, people who are not even that closely related to sort of the mechanics of party politics, who just have a real problem with reporters and, you know, who say that we're fake news and that we're not reporting the truth, that we're covering things up or that we're in the bag for somebody. And I mean, I can certainly tell you that, you know, most of the reporters I know, including myself, just don't feel that way, that we really get out there to report a story and to find out what people are thinking and what's going on. And, you know, the only agenda we have is maybe the, you know, the agenda of the meeting that we're covering that night. So, um, but we do find that people, uh, people are sort of starting to silo themselves into different ways of consuming news. You know, people might only want to consume news from conservative sources, and that's certainly true on the left as well, where people want sort of a more liberal viewpoint, even in the, the straight news. Um, that they're consuming. So uh, definitely something that's not going away, uh, even with a change in administration. Well, Donald Trump is, strangely enough, for for as much of the... um the criticism he's he's lobbed at the media over the last four or five years, 
He was uh, effectively, his brand was created by the media, the tabloids in New York. He loved using the New York City tabloids, the Post and the Daily News, and and even uh, some occasional uh, stories that would appear in the New York Times. He loved the attention he received from traditional media. And even, I, I'm inclined to believe, uh, for all the years, several years that Spy Magazine existed, and he, I think he was probably the, uh, the, the one person who, who was cover boy on Spy Magazine most often, even though a lot of the time they were poking fun at Donald Trump, the Queen's real estate developer, I'm, I'm convinced he probably loved every bit of it. He probably bought extra copies of Spy Magazine to hand out to his friends. He, he loved the media back in the 80s and the 90s and so on. And even to this day, despite his criticism, I'm, I'm convinced he still loves the media. It's for him, you know, jousting with the media is, is almost like oxygen. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there, there are a couple of things about Donald Trump that, that, definitely convinced me that what you're saying is true. I mean, he's definitely a great communicator, okay? He knows how to get a message out, knows how to get attention, he knows how to grab a headline. There's no question about it. And having spoken to him, you know, before he was president, in the walk-up to that, but also in, you know, other capacities around New York City, where he's, you know, primarily doing a lot of his business, um, this was definitely not somebody who was running away from talking to a reporter. I mean, you know, periodically you'd get a phone call and you'd be like, you know, hi, Daily News or whatever, and they'd be like, please hold for Mr. Trump. Now, you didn't call him; he called you. He wanted to be in the. He wanted to be in the newspaper. He wanted to be part of the conversation. Now, you know, part of his strategy, and it was a very effective one for quite a while, was that when it benefited him to turn on the media to attack the media as questionable, or to set up the idea that, uh, you know, the things that were being written about him, negative things, couldn't be trusted. He did that to great advantage. So as a strategist, befriending and attacking the media at the appropriate times, he had done an excellent job, whether or not you like him. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I mean, I'm envious of anybody who can uh, develop and then maintain a brand as he did, and, and certainly during the uh, a few decades starting in the 70s, sometimes he would pretend to be his own spokesman. You know, hi, I'm John Miller or John Barron, and, you know, and people would say, wait a second, after a while, this John Miller or John Barron sure sounded like Donald John Trump, and turns out he was he was using that ploy sometimes, too, when he was trying to plant stories, favorable stories, that, that helped his brand. Well, look, I mean, it worked out. You know, he became, uh, he became a household name. He became uh, the star of a very popular and lucrative television program, reality show, The Apprentice. Now he's the president of the United States. Uh, so I, I think that whatever he was doing, um, even though there was some negative press involved, even though it wasn't always perfectly calibrated, I think what he did was very effective. Speaking with Celeste Katz-Marston about the media, journalism in 2020, some people think that the image of reporters and journalists, that the image has been 
uh, irreparably harmed, that there really isn't much that can be done. Um, even people who aren't supporters of Donald Trump, people on, on the other side of the political spectrum, uh, a lot of times now are, are casting doubt about the, the stories they see in mainstream publications and on, on TV and, and radio, that, that there really is, uh, is a, a, a wide swath of America that, for various reasons, has lost trust in journalism is is there anything substantial that can be done in the next few years to try to repair that the sense that i got from uh working on the story for neiman reports was that the best thing that journalists can do going ahead is to treat the next president you know joe biden presumably uh with as much scrutiny and as much skepticism as they treated donald trump that if people that reporters are not sort of on the team of one party or one person, but are willing to rigorously question and challenge whoever is in power, because it's so important to do that, that that should go quite a long way towards convincing people that, uh, you know, Donald Trump was not being treated especially hard or that the press was being unfair to him. Uh, that's that's going to be a hard thing to do in some ways, uh, frankly, because a lot of reporters that I spoke to say, well, you know, Trump merited extra attention because of, the, you know, so many things that he said were controversial or, frankly, were not true. You know, he required a lot of fact-checking. Uh, will a Biden administration operate the same way? It's not clear. We just don't know. One thing we do know is that it probably will be uh, much more akin to what we experienced in the Obama years. And frankly, the Obama years were not a time of, of love and kisses between the press and the White House. They were not as accessible. Trump likes to talk a lot. He makes a lot of news. Uh, the Obama administration and probably the Biden administration are generally more guarded, more uh, close to the vest, more disciplined and on message. So the approach is... Uh, you know, the realities may be kind of different there, but the approach should be the same. Reporters should always just question and challenge and verify, no matter who's sitting in the uh, behind the resolute desk. There's an interesting email from a listener who uh, just wrote this a few minutes ago. Mike from Port Crane wrote, I'm a Trump supporter. However, at this point, I don't care who wins. What will be interesting will be how you and some of our other listeners praise Beijing Biden after four years of saying nothing good about Trump. This is why the media is a huge problem. The news used to be news. Now it's biased one way or another. Just the factual news, please, both good and bad. And that's uh, just a note from a, a listener just a, a few minutes ago. And I, I imagine what Mike wrote is is similar to some of the feelings that many of our other listeners share, that they, they think that, that the media, much of the traditional media, have ganged up on, on President Trump over the last four years um, unfairly. Well, you know what, I, I would say that uh, your listener, in some regards, has a very good point, and I think it's fair. So I'm not here to deliver a blanket defense of the media. Um, I, I do think that there are people who show bias in their reporting. There are people who are are not, uh, not focused on covering the office of the president, no matter who actually is in the office, which they should be. But I also do think... Um, 
that especially in the case of uh, television, cable television, you know, I really think it's important to draw a line between, you know, sort of the, the late night programs, which look like news programs, but are in fact opinion programs. Okay, so if you have somebody in the chair, I'm not going to name names, but I think everyone is familiar with these programs. If you have one person on there who's sort of openly and personally attacking the president, whether or not, you know, you agree with their views, you know, that's very different than the person who is out there on the campaign trail and certainly very different from the person who's covering a local meeting or covering the state legislature. I worked for for a number of years in Albany uh, covering the legislature. And, you know, that's sort of a very different role. And I think that the, the vast, vast majority of people in these roles are really trying to do their job. So I would say it's definitely fair to criticize the media and to expect them to present the news in a fair and direct and, you know, moderated way. But I would differentiate between sort of the the headliners, the, the anchor chairs that become almost celebrities and the people who are actually doing sort of the, the ground level work of reporting the news and putting out a paper or a program every single day. Well, and I think what, what of course has happened, especially since the cable news field got crowded when MSNBC and Fox News Channel came on in in 1996 to make it hyper-competitive. I I think most people in journalism realize in America, most of the time, there's enough of a news audience for exactly one cable channel to do well, but in a a very competitive situation, uh, unless there's a big story, let's face it, most people aren't spending much time with cable news, and that's so, you know, Fox News Channel with their initial business model in 1996 they've they've never really deviated from their strategy right at the outset and that forced basically msnbc and cnn to make adjustments to have more opinion programming because those are the types of programs that that can draw regular viewers whereas if you're just reporting the plain old news straight news the only time you're going to have a large audience is when there's a huge story Yeah, that's definitely a big thing. And also, you know, the political positioning of newspapers, for example, you know, is is sort of makes it difficult for people who are on the ground doing the work. You know, I can't tell you how many times I was covering something in politics and people would say, well, why should I talk to you? You are you, you already endorsed the other guy. And I would always say, I have nothing to do with the editorial board. I don't endorse candidates. I don't sit in those meetings. I don't even want to read. I don't even want to know who my newspaper endorsed because it has nothing to do with me or the reporting that I do. But you know what? That's a hard thing for people to swallow, and I can understand why. So, you know, that's something that maybe we have to think about going forward is, like, how can we sort of firewall the opinion section from, you know, the the reporting section and convince people to trust us that the people, those of us who are out there doing the reporting and not making endorsements or writing opinion columns are actually just out there to report on what's actually happening, because that is the truth. It's also helpful, I think, to acknowledge when mistakes are made, to be quick about uh, pointing out when something went wrong and sometimes explaining why. I, I've seen the New York Times do that a few times. Most news organizations are, are not keen on ever fessing up to, to errors, and if they do, sometimes it's a very small correction and they, they hope it'll go away. So perhaps uh, a little more forthrightness would be uh, useful with all, all news organizations and journalists in, in the coming year. 
Oh, absolutely. I think that transparency is something that I, I talked about a lot with people in the piece from Neiman Reports. You know, we really have to be out there and say, look, this is what we're trying to find out. These are the steps that we took to find it out. You know, showing your work, being open about mistakes, correcting them quickly, the opposite, acknowledging your mistakes and correcting them uh, in a transparent way does everything to, uh, to bolster your credibility, not to, not to undercut it. Celeste Katz Marston, by the way, those dogs on your uh, Twitter page, are, are they yours? That's the, those are my dogs. That's, uh, Pebbles is the red one, and uh, Pablo is the dapple. All right. Well, I'll show their, uh, show the picture of, of your dogs to my dogs, Daisy and, <laughs> and Audrey, and, and they'll at least be virtual friends. Absolutely. Sounds great. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Hope you have a, uh, a wonderful weekend. My pleasure. You too. Take care. It's 1050. We're live and local. I'm Bob Joseph. This is Binghamton Now on News Radio 1290 WNBF.